Uh, we are kind of right in the middle of this mini-series, if, if you haven't been here, weren't here last week in Grow, where we're looking at the exclusivity of Christ. Uh, we're using John 14, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7 as kind of the home base. And if uh, you want to turn there, we'll, we'll look at this. And we'll just recap a little bit. And if, you're, if you don't, it'll be on the screens as well. But this is uh, John 14, uh, verses 1 through 7. And here's what it says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And last week, we, we kind of recapped, uh, our, let me recap from last week. We talked about the setting uh, of what was happening in this context. This is the Last Supper Jesus is having with his disciples. Uh, this is Thursday of Holy Week, and this is a, this is a dim and dark time. The disciples are not expecting what is happening in this moment. This is the end of Jesus' life and ministry. It's not going the way that they were thinking it was going to go. Jesus is talking about leaving them, and he's talking about even his death and being put to death, and that they can't come with him after following him for years of their life, giving up everything to follow him. Uh, Not only that, but Jesus has just dismissed Judas to go and betray him. On top of that, you have Jesus calling out their leader, Peter, and saying, you're going to deny me three times. And this is a a confusing time, a dark time for the disciples. And so Jesus is trying to give them some assurance and some hope. And he's going to talk about this idea that I am the way and the truth and the life. And we talked about this last week, and I think it's important for us to reiterate it. This is one of the I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. There are seven of them. And whenever we come to one of these I am statements, we really have to look in depth at what is being said because this is very strong language. This is strong, emphatic language. Jesus is using... Also from the Old Testament, the idea of Yahweh being I am, he's saying, I am putting myself on the same level of God. I am God, and I am the way. And I and I alone am the way, and I and I alone am the truth, and I and I alone am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. This is strong language that is being used. And last week, we kind of focused on the first part of that statement, I am the way. And we talked about the the fact that Jesus claimed to be the way, the only way to God. No one comes to the Father. We talked about how that fought against our culture. And tonight, we're going to focus more on the idea of Jesus being the truth. And we're going to see how even this concept probably fights against our culture even more. And what is truth? Uh, that's, that's, that's really the question for tonight. 
what is truth? I think you can approach that question in a couple of ways. I think you can ask that question sincerely. Like, I really want to understand. I want to know what the truth is. I want to seek it out, and I want to understand. Or you can maybe approach that question insincerely. uh, What is truth, really? Like, how can we really know truth? And I think that is the way that our culture really approaches that question. What is truth, really? And there may not be a a greater conversation that we could have now as a church, as a body of believers in our culture today than the conversation of truth. Because truth is under assault in our culture. And so to look at this idea of what is truth, I want to point us just a little bit further, a few chapters further in John. Let's turn to John chapter 18. And I want to to look at another passage in which someone asks this question, what is truth? Is truth. So turn with me, if you will. If not, it's on the screen as well. John chapter 18. And we're going to look starting uh, in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So what's happening here is this is is what Jesus has just said was going to happen to his disciples. He's gone out from their midst. He's left them. He's gone to the garden. He's been betrayed by Judas. He's been arrested by the religious leaders. He's been brought, uh, Peter has denied him three times, and now the religious leaders have brought him to the Roman authorities, to Pilate, because they want them to do the dirty work. They're going to hand Jesus over to Pilate, to the Romans, and, and Pilate is going to begin to interrogate Jesus. Now, Pilate's in a difficult position because he's got to keep the peace with the people, but he's also got to keep the authority of Rome. And so he's going to interrogate Jesus, and Jesus is going to do, in classic Jesus fashion, he's not going to answer one single question he has. He's just going to talk about what he wants to talk about and what really needs to be said. He's not going to answer any of his questions. And and he goes in this interrogation, and he says, what have you done? And in verse 36, Jesus continues. Let's go on. He's not going to answer the question. He's just going to talk about his kingdom. Here's Jesus' answer. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, sort of. You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world, listen, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And Pilate in that instance maybe takes that same approach, our default humanistic approach, what is truth really? How can we really understand that? How can we really know that? And I think that that's insightful, especially as we look at our culture and how it defines truth. And so what is truth? That is what we need to ask, and that's what we need to figure out. And I think we can look at two ways. We can look at the culture's definition, and we can look at the biblical definition. And if we're looking at our culture's definition of truth, our culture would define it as this. There is no truth. 
That's what our culture would say. There is no truth, at least not absolute truth. Now, once upon a time, there might have been a generation of people, and some of you may have been in that or have known some people in that, where if you said there was no absolute truth, that would be fought tooth and nail. That is no longer the case. In today's world, especially in our Western mindset, an absolute truth is, disre- is not only is it disagreed with, but to claim absolute truth is immoral in our culture. There's been this switch, this flip of conversation to now, if you claim absolute truth, you're the enemy. You're the one who's wrong. You're the one who's actually even immoral. Why? Because to claim that there is absolute truth leads to intolerance and prejudice against what others think. And if you claim to know absolute truth or to hold to absolute truth, you are labeled a a bigot, you are insensitive, you are intolerant, you are unjust, and yes, even immoral. It's this flip that's happened. It's now to this idea that if you say that your truth does not apply to me, then I think you're being sensitive. I think you're being righteous. I think you're being good. I think that is the moral thing. But if you say that your truth is also on me, you're insensitive and you're immoral. And that's now morality and tolerance demands relativism. And that is what our culture is just fascinated with, relativism. We've got to define everything in terms of relativism, not realism, relativism. If you don't believe that the truth you see is binding on me, then you're good. If you do, you're bad. And moral relativism, we've talked about this in our church before several times because this is an assault on the truth. And moral relativism has absolutely plagued our culture and our society. And yes, I just made an absolute statement. Because it has. It's absolutely plagued our way of thinking to where now moral relativism is the default thinking in our society. And make no mistake about it, moral relativism is the battleground on which the church will have to fight for truth. And moral relativism, uh, if you don't know or you're not sure, is basically the idea that there is no absolute truth. There is no absolute authority. Or that your truth is true for you, but it is not true for me. And my truth is true for me. It is not true for you. And no longer are are people seeking outside of themselves for the truth that makes sense of the world in which they live and guides their life. No longer are people seeking out this transcendent truth that is absolute. Uh, Nowadays, everybody is trying to seek their experience, 
their, their give, that gives meaning to their life, their fullness of life, their American dream, their experience, and that becomes their reality, that becomes their truth. It may not be absolute, but it is truth to them. It is their truth. And the, the, the guideline, the general guideline for our culture nowadays is keep the monkey of your truth off of my back. Don't burden me with your truth. And moral relativism has many flaws and many issues that I just can't understand why, especially people who think logically even would adhere to this. But let me just give you one. Uh, Moral relativism is self-contradictory. Moral relativism basically says, I absolutely believe there should not be any absolutes. You have to see the the issue with that. Absolutely no absolutes. And there, uh, if you say there is no absolute truth that everybody should believe, you contradict yourself because you've just made a statement that you want everyone to believe. Do you see what, what I'm saying? And I I don't know where this came from or what, but I feel like the hidden agenda of relativism is to make every view relative except for their own. And that's the hidden agenda. I I saw a pamphlet, uh, a a pro-abortion pamphlet, uh, where they they had their propaganda on this pamphlet, and it it said, you know, we got to protect women's reproductive rights and all these different things, and on the pamphlet you could read through it. But in big, bold statement on the front, in big letters where it would catch your eye, Their big punch was, we will not tolerate intolerance. (laughs) And what does that mean? Tolerance is the moral equivalent of relativism. We will not intolerate intolerance. Absolutely no absolutes. It self-contradicts. Relativism does not fit within reality, right? I mean, think about it. We, we know there are absolutes all around us. We live in a world of absolutes. If I go get on the building right now and jump off, gravity will absolutely take over. It is not a truth that's true for me, but not true for you. Right? Oh, gravity took over for you, but it's not going to take over for me. That's your truth, not mine. I'm going to fly. We live in reality. And we're in a system that God has arranged that is realistic and has absolute truths. And moral relativism contradicts itself if you take it all the way to the, to the end result. It will always contradict itself. And that's what we need, to, we need to remember. Truth has to do with reality. Here's the first point I want us to see. Truth has to do with reality. Truth is more than just facts about something. It's not something we can act upon or change. It changes us. We cannot change the truth, but the truth can change us. Truth is about reality. Truth is not something you just I'm going to change that. I'm going to adjust that. You do not act upon truth. It acts upon you. And it changes you. You do not 
change truth. And truth is reality. More specifically, truth is God's reality. Because God is the creator of all things. And since God is the creator of all things, his truth is the only true reality. And Jesus says, I am God, and I and I alone am the truth. It's not a truth that is true for some and not true for others. It is a truth for all. Jesus is the absolute truth. And in the Gospel of John, uh, this, idea, this, this, this idea of truth is all over the place. In fact, the, the term used for truth here is used 25 times in the Gospel of John. As, uh, you can compare that to the Gospel of Matthew or other Gospels where it's used three times or five times, 25 times in the Gospel of John, this idea of truth, John is trying to get us to understand something here. It, he even says at the end of the Gospel in John 20, 31, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the truth of God. I think when we think about Jesus being the truth, we, we kind of maybe tend to think, maybe, maybe you're like me, I, I, I naturally think of Jesus teaching truth or, or exemplifying truth or modeling truth. And those things are true, but it's not just simply that. Here's the next point I want you to see. Truth is not simply the teaching about God transmitted from Jesus, but God's very reality revealed in Jesus. He said, I am the truth. He does not say, I just came to show you the truth, although he does that. He, he does not say, I, I, I have come to, to teach you the truth, although he does that. I have not come just to model the truth for you, although he does that. No, he says, I am truth personified. I am the truth. I am the source of all truth. I embody all truth. And therefore, Jesus is the measurement, the standard for which all truth claims should be evaluated against. I am the truth. I and I alone. He is truth personified. And we, we've talked about, we talked about some of this last week. Uh, tr truth is communicated often. More often than not, truth is spoken. That's why we talk about the importance of God's revelation, God's speaking truth about himself to us. God's revelation is God's revealing, God's speaking truth about himself. Listen to Hebrews chapter one. I love this one. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke revelation. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken revelation to us by his son, who is the truth, the final and ultimate revelation of God, truth personified in his son, Jesus Christ. So he, Jesus tells Pilate, here's the reason that I was born. Here's why I have come into the world. Let me lay it out for you. To bear witness to the truth. And he says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Let me give you a couple other verses. Uh, even from John, John 17 in his high priestly prayer, John 17, 16 through 19, hear this. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He is praying for his followers. This includes us. He says, sanctify them in the what? Truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they, may also, they also may be sanctified in truth. Uh, in 1 John 5.20, says this, and, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And one more in John 8, verses 31 through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now that's one of the most misquoted verses in all scripture. But it is a powerful one. Because what is he saying here? He's he's putting himself, he is the truth. Remember in our, in our story, in the original story, in the, in, in the Last Supper, he says, you, you know the way where I'm going. And, and Thomas is like, I don't know where you're going. How do I know the way? But Jesus, what is Jesus trying to do? He's trying to get them to understand, you know the way because I am the way. And you know me. And the same thing applies with truth. You know the truth if you know me. I am the truth. I am the one that sets you free. It's not this idea that if I tell the truth or if I don't tell a lie, I'm going to be set free, although there's some truth to that claim maybe. This is not what that scripture is saying. This is Jesus. Jesus is the truth that sets you free. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And I will set you free. It's dealing with knowing who Jesus is. You know the way in which I'm going, if you know me. You know the truth, if you know me. You know the life, if you know me. I and I alone am the truth. It's about knowing Jesus, and this is the last point I want you to see. To know Jesus is to know God's absolute truth. It's a truth that has the power to set us free. There's power in that truth. To know this truth is not just intellectual. It can't just be intellectual. Right? Because even the demons know, even Satan knows the truth about Jesus Christ and shudder. It's not just an intellectual thing. Truly knowing the truth, which is Jesus, is spiritual freedom. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from guilt. It's freedom from judgment and shame. And it's a freedom that moves us from the domain of darkness into the fullness of life. Into the fullness of life. More on that next week as we talk about Jesus being the life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have allowed us to know truth and reality absolute truth 
in your son, Jesus Christ. Because there are so many views out there, so many ways of thinking, many that don't even make sense logically. I thank you that you work within reality and that you work within our reality by sending your son to bear witness to the truth that we may know him and therefore that we may know truth personified, a truth that sets us free and sets us apart, a truth that leads us into purpose and meaning and fullness of life. And because he's the truth, and because he's the life, he is the way, and we thank you that you have made a way for us when there was no other way. So we give glory to the truth, and we give praise to the way that is Jesus Christ, your son. And we thank you for this time. And we pray that you help us as we navigate through the difficulties of our culture and their views of truth. Help us to speak the truth in love because we will need it. All this for your glory and for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we have gathered, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us.